This is episode 98 with Jason Taffler. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. I have a fellow Torontonian, Jason Taffler, uh, who... It's funny, we um, actually bid on this project about six months ago, and just because of travel schedule and a a few other things, we unfortunately didn't end up working together, but um, Jason, you reconnected with me after a few months. You're like, oh, hey, Unite just launched on Kickstarter, and you raised, how much did you raise in the first couple of days? It was like 50,000 or something? Yeah, I think the first day we doubled our uh, goal. Our goal was 30,000 US and we we almost doubled that the first day. So it was a good start. It's awesome. So like, I'm like, well, clearly you didn't need me. And it's like a testament to the product. Um, I'll let you explain what Unite is, but it's a, like, I think when you first brought me the idea, it's really cool because I thought Muse, the the meditation headband almost. And, but this yours was a step further where you allow, like it's more interactive than just a a headband. Um, I'm going to butcher the sales pitch, but it's a really awesome product. And um, fortunately we didn't get to work together, but we're still friends and this is going to make for a great journey and just a great podcast interview. So um, I think what I'd love to do is um, just start off by like, you guys have three days left to go in this campaign. So I'd love to see what your plans are for the last three days. See if there's any um, like advice I can give you or whatever. Um, but I'd love to hear the story of how you actually decided to focus on an interactive meditation uh, device and like how, cause it's really cool. Like um, why don't we get started with that and who Jason cool. Taffler is like. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate being on today. This is, this is really cool, and it's been good to keep in touch with you and get uh, your thoughts on, on the campaign. Um, yeah, so long story short, I mean, for me, I basically worked, you know, I'm 41 years old. I worked really hard in kind of startups in the corporate world from the age of around 20 to 40. Um, you know, was a chief digital officer of a large company in Canada called Rogers Communications, built an ad technology startup in the U.S. I was there for about a decade and expanded all around the world. That was a pretty wild ride. And I had, I had always been just work. I was basically a workaholic. I worked myself to the bone. And shortly after my 40th birthday, um, I was pretty healthy. I was always in good shape and, and you know, ate good foods and all that stuff. Uh, out of the blue, one day at work on a Friday, I had severe internal bleeding. And I literally almost bled to death over that weekend. And so you know, you just celebrated a great 40th birthday party in Toronto with friends and family. And then boom, a month and a half later, you almost don't make it. So it, it was uh, it was a real shock to the system, to be honest, and a big wake up call to me that even though I'd done a lot of interesting things, you know, I completely was uh, not listening to my body. And I, you know, I wasn't uh, focusing on my health as much as I should have. And I think, you know, being in a corporate world and an executive job, 
and, you know, not sleeping and, and being stressed all the time and, and having a pretty, trying to transform a company digitally, a huge company can be quite stressful. So I think I just didn't have the right tool set for myself personally to really understand what was going on in my mind and my body. And I personally think I, I almost burnt myself out. And so uh, it turned out to be a condition that's manageable, like an inflammatory kind of condition. But uh, long story short, I decided at that point in the hospital, I was going to leave the corporate world and just focus on my recovery, my family. And then um, I had always been really passionate about health and wellness and had all these digital health ideas for literally like a decade. I've been writing business plans and ideas. And, you know, for some of your listeners, you get caught up in that kind of corporate world or whatever it is, and you just you don't jump out and do what you're really passionate about. So I felt like if I can make it through this and obviously wanted to see my family again, my eight-year-old son, my wife, but I felt like I, I needed to focus on my recovery and then doing things that I was more passionate about. So I personally felt like in addition to a bunch of other things, interact uh, meditation was very helpful to me from the day I was in the hospital uh, since it's been about a year and a half since then, I've been doing daily meditation. And for me, I felt like it was one of the first times I could actually calm those parts of my mind that were always wired and going crazy and thinking and you, know, you can't stop. And also kind of feel, hey, this is what it feels like when I get angry. I kind of would ignore all those things in my body going on, like your blood pressure pumping, your heart rate, and that angry feeling. And I would get angry quite a bit, you know, and aggressive yeah. in, in a corporate environment. So for me, I just felt like it was really helpful to get clarity about what I wanted to do and, and also to calm my mind and my body. And so long story short, after I kind of had initial recovery, I started this company, Unite, U-N-Y-T-E. And um, our first product we launched is this interactive meditation product that combines the best of hardware and software, um, you know, biofeedback, sort of the science of meditation, where you measure your stress levels and your anxiety levels from your nervous system state through a biofeedback device. And a whole library of interactive content, you know, think of guided meditations, interactive games, that as you uh, learn proper breathing techniques and proper relaxation and meditation techniques, it kind of trains you to, um, you know, get into a more uh, peaceful, calm state. And then the games actually uh, progress as you get into a better, uh, a more relaxed state. So long story short, we have a cool device that uh, measures heart rate variability and galvanic skin response and some other things. And we have about, you know, at least 50, we're, we're going to be up to 100 soon, kind of interactive games and immersive experiences and, uh, you know, real-time kind of feedback. So it kind of takes the best of what you see out there with like the headspaces of the world and, and the, the audio apps that are core basic content and the best of the things like Muse and combines them. I love that. When you um, mentioned that in the hospital, one of the things that kind of stuck with you was meditation. How did you, because there's so much you could focus on your health and wellness journey. You could do yoga. You could do running a mile every day. You could do journaling. What, how did you find meditation specifically? Well, it's a great question. I've been trying to meditate off and on for like 20 years, and I always kind of would just give up. I, I try. My mind was wired and active, and you know, like, like I don't maybe like you or others, you know, it just it's constantly working and moving, and so I couldn't sit still, even to be honest. So um, I, I felt like in the hospital when I was bleeding and when I was worried that I might not make it, somehow I was able to do some deep breathing. You know, I'd read a lot about breathing and meditation, so the breathing sort of helped me through the crisis. And I said, you know what, I just started listening to some YouTube meditations from my hospital bed that people had recommended to me. And that really kind of just helped me get some perspective on what was going on, because it's easy to kind of get into a fear-based mindset if you're there and you're not sure what's happening. So that was really how it, how it got going. I mean, I will, I will say for everyone listening out there, if you're healthy, that's great. But I, I was pretty damn healthy. I, I was gluten and dairy free. I exercised. I'm just you know, in pretty good shape. Um, I took a bunch of supplements. Like I, at one point I would take 50 supplements a day because I was working so hard and I thought it, it could help. Uh, but I think all those things are great. If you don't have some sort of way of actually calming your mind and your body and getting into a state where we call it resonance, um, in our, in our product, but there are many names for it. But if you can't find a way to train yourself to get in that state, when you're faced with stressful situations, your body can't really heal because it's constantly in fight or flight. And the body can't heal when it's in fight or flight, it, when it's in a sympathetic nervous system state. It can only heal when it's in a parasympathetic nervous system state. So actually our games 
give you a score of one to a hundred. One is, Hey, you're basically in fight or flight. You know, you're, you're very stressed out. Your nervous system. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. This is crowdfunding uncut. A Buddhist monk. And that gives your body time to regenerate and heal. So I just felt like for that reason. And also I felt like uh, meditation kind of quieted certain parts of my mind, the more emotional uh, parts of the mind and gave me more clarity with kind of the frontal lobe lighting up and helped me actually listen to my inner voice and my authentic self of what I wanted to do. And whether you're just scientific or spiritual, you know, meditation can kind of get you that clarity. So I did find that very helpful. I find too, this is a bit of a tangent, but um, meditation can be great while you're doing other things. Like you don't necessarily need to just be sitting there doing deep breathing and stuff. And I don't know if your device can be used with say running or another activity, but I noticed yesterday, like I'm, uh, I'm training for an Ironman and my coach told me, he looked at my splits while I was running for like how fast I'm running each mile. He's like, your splits are all over the map. Like you're doing a seven minute mile. You're doing a 12 minute mile. Like we need to get you on pace. And so yesterday I started paying attention to doing like aiming for a nine minute, 15 second mile. And I never, I wasn't aware of this, but yet it was so hard to keep pace. And I'd noticed that while I was running the 10 K yesterday, that anytime I would start to feel anxious or my mind would start to go into overdrive, I would speed up. And that's a problem with athletic performance because if you're if you're actively stressed during a race, you're pushing yourself a little too far, you could burn out and you're not going to be able to finish the race because you have used up your endurance. So even to be able to have the skills to calm down your mind will allow you to increase your performance in like other areas of your life as well. Yes, that's that's a great point. So our first application for this uh, Unite product is meditation, relaxation, training, mindfulness training because of the way that we started. But you make a great point in a couple of ways. One is the more you train yourself on how to do this and how to breathe and be aware of your, your thoughts, your emotions, your bodily state, your, you know, how it feels, the more you can um, leverage that in other life situations and the more resilient you become, you know, whether you're in traffic jam and you're usually going to scream at someone, which I used to do a lot, and now I try my best not to. Although if I do, I forgive myself, um, but, uh, or, or in other situations, you know, you can take this device. So the current device is specialized for this, but it's extensible in a lot of different ways. So future iterations are definitely, our vision is to have a device that can measure different types of biofeedback at all times of day, whether it's through a watch or wearable other things and, you know, give you reminders when you're out doing things, or if you want to actually take a break to meditate, you can do that. Um, I will say we were very lucky in that, which I'll come to a bit later, I'm sure, very lucky that part of the way we built this business is we acquired some technology from a company that had been doing biofeedback and gaming for over a decade, and we leveraged and and built upon some of that foundational technology. So it gave us a, a good head start. What it also gave us was a lot of insight into customer needs and and what what consumers and professionals wanted because for example to your point a lot of people in the past like athletes um, clinicians you know helping treat people with addictions or adhd or anxiety schools and universities and their guidance counselor offices hospitals children's hospitals prisons had been using prior versions of this technology so we're basically taking that learning and, and significantly enhancing everything for a more modern kind of meditator modern world for sure and so it's funny i uh, just got a puppy and he's awake and he's chewing on my feet (laughs) (laughs) uh anyway sorry so just two seconds on that one try having a conversation when something's eating your clothes (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so going back to your campaign when what i really love about this is you it's kind of like you did you buy the old company or license the rights to it or like how yeah so we bought basically the company we bought the assets of the company so that came with some technology some ip and some uh email newsletter uh subscriber lists awesome. uh, so yeah we we did buy you know all the assets that they had so how different was version 1.0 of what literally what you bought to what you now launched and how did you decide what was important to change about it to make it something that would sell and be what you wanted? 
Yeah, well, first thing we did was we did a, a customer survey. I, I did a lot of work in my prior lives on net promoter scores. So I, I, there's a lot of different ways to measure it, but I, I'm a firm believer that NPS or net promoter score is one of the best ways because it has direct correlation to ultimate company success and profitability and growth. And there's a lot of research on that uh, led by Bain Capital. But uh, so we did a full survey. We got all the feedback from consumers, professionals. We had about a thousand people respond. Um, and we used all that data in addition to a bunch of calls we made to older existing customers to gather up kind of what, what they liked, what they didn't like, uh, what, would, what would it look like in their ideal world. And yeah. then we focused on making those changes. So we, um, you know, the company had, had, had been great early on and they kind of had um, let things go a little bit and not had invested as much in innovation over the past few years. So a lot of it was the original products were very desktop focused, more like clinical kind of software feel in some ways. Um, a hardware was, uh, you know, there were separate versions for, you know, mobile versus desktop. Um, actually, there wasn't really much that worked well on mobile devices. Uh, there was no data kind of, you know, there was some basic reporting, but there was no kind of data storage capabilities or other types of platforms. So we, we, uh, we basically upgraded the hardware. So it's a single device that works across, you know, laptop, desktop, tablet, smartphone. It has, uh, we, we added some other, um, you know, biofeedback measures in there and some other capabilities and built it in a way where, as I said, we can add on other types of sensors and data in the future quite easily. Mm-hmm. And then we upgraded the entire platform to a cloud-based platform. So basically the, the whole story is you get one device, you get one, one login like Netflix, and you can sign into any of our experiences across any platform. And then yeah. everything, if you want, is tracked and stored in a cloud-based dashboard, you know, like you'd think in modern technology. And it's all mobile-friendly and, and easy to use. And we simplified a lot of the measurement, too, in terms of making it easier for customers to understand. We also simplified all the UX and upgraded all the UX and, and UI in terms of uh, the gains and the experiences. That's awesome. It's like... I find that you had a head, like you said earlier, you had a head start, but you did something that a lot of campaigns don't do, which is you honestly developed a product basically from scratch, if you think about it, because you gutted the whole thing. But what you didn't do was look at yourself and say, here's what I think is going to sell and here's what features I think need to go into it. You literally took your customer base and we're like, okay, we need to figure out in their, in their eyes, what device they need, because what, what you're able to do is you get real proof and real feedback from people of what's important to them. So you get proof of what's going to sell, but you create something that they want. So they're also involved in the, in the process as you create this thing, um, which is anyone listening. Like, I can't stress this enough. Like, you know, Jason, what you did is you didn't necessarily validate, but you used your existing audience, which is what people need to be doing when they're building theirs to get the feedback they need in the product development stage. Um, Let's just say you didn't do any of that. You didn't survey, you didn't jump on the phone with a ton of people. How do you think that would have impacted your project? I think it would not have gone close to as well as it's gone. And I think we would have probably built things that people didn't want. And, uh, you know, we would have seen that in terms of the lack of, you know, backers and negative feedback. Uh, We've actually had a a great, so I'd say two things. One, I'm a, as I said, I'm a big believer in customer driven innovation. And of course you can also make the argument, well, customers don't always know exactly what they want. So you have to balance that out with sort of, you know, idea-based, you know, innovation. But um, my experience is whether you look at Lean or you look at Agile or Six Sigma or any of these great methodologies that have been around for a while, and I'm a big supporter of those, it all starts with the customer. And really deeply, even look at Toyota, great companies in the past, which I've studied and been very lucky enough to work with people that came from those companies in the past. They all start with observing. I've also done a lot of training with IDEO in the U.S., all sorts of observing the cus- your customers or your prospects, living with them, being with them, understanding how they use it, what they like, what they don't like, or, or you're just watching how they live and, and trying to understand where the pain points or the problems are. And uh, so I think in this case, we did a lot of observation. We did the survey, as I mentioned. And even Kickstarter, we've gotten a lot of great feedback um, and some critical feedback around what they would have liked to have seen, what's different, what, you know, what, they, what they want. But I think 
Uh, so we've had kind of two stages of feedback, the initial feedback, ongoing feedback, and then, and then even third is Kickstarter feedback. But I would say to anyone starting a business or launching something, you know, if you, if you don't start with really trying to understand that, that person or that persona and living and breathing with them, I'd say your, your chances of success drop dramatically. For sure. And that's kind of like the, the weird byproduct of, I wish I knew this before I launched type yes. thing, but yes. you have the experience to know that, that you should have done that ahead of time, which is so valuable. Um, you mentioned earlier net promoter score. Um, I don't come from the corporate world, so I don't really, I have never applied that to a business before. Can you tell me what net promoter score is and how uh, you used a survey to figure that out? Sure. Net Promoter Score, once again, I'm not promoting you know, the, the company that does it. There's a great book there called The Ultimate Question. And it's not just corporate. I mean, it actually started with companies like Intuit and others that were very early startups and did this. But uh, you know, Apple is, is fanatic about Net Promoter Score, Amazon, Disney, all these great companies, right? So what it is, I think a lot of times when you're trying to get customer feedback, people do these like 50 page surveys and you get all this information and it's hard to make sense of it all. And you waste a lot of it. And it's hard to really understand like what actually do our customers think about us? What do they feel, feel about us in our product? So that promoter score is a single question. You can ask more, but the single question is based on your recent experience or, or, you know, service experience with our company, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or colleague? And it sounds so simple, but it's like zero to 10 sounds so simple but there's a lot of science behind it. And basically, so you, you ask that question. There's a couple of ways you can ask that question. There's a, you can ask that question in kind of broad surveys over time, like every three months or six months or 12 months. Then you get kind of a general trend of you of how people are feeling about your company and your products and your service experience overall. Then you can ask subsets of the question. You, the second question you ask is, well, why? If someone gave you a four or an eight or a 10, second question is why? And then you've got a lot of great data about why they give you that mark. Because it's, it's a pretty high bar. It's not just, do you like us? Do you like the product? It's, are you willing to recommend us to a friend or colleague? Which means that someone would have to go out of their way to actually recommend you. So that's yeah. why it's quite a, uh, a, a you know, hard score to do well on. The second thing is you can do transactional. So what I just described was called relationship net promoter score, which happens over time, periodically. Transactional NPS is really great too, is where let's say you're, you're shipping products or someone does a transaction on your e-commerce site. After that transaction, or they call your call center. After that transaction, you send them a quick survey, either through their phone or whatever, SMS or email, and they tell you how that experience was. So you can actually get real-time feedback on their e-commerce experience or their purchase. That can help you to improve things in a more transactional, operational way. Amazing, but, yeah. So, so it's, just, it's just a very standardized metric where you can compare yourself to companies all around the world of different industries. The way it works is basically there are three types of responses. Zero to six is called the detractor, mm -hmm. uh, which means that they really aren't that happy with you. They don't like you at this point in time. Seven to eight is neutral. So it means they, they're, they're pleased. They're not going to go run around telling their friends and family you're the best thing ever, but they're not going to like crap all over you and tell their friends that you don't. It sucks and all and, the things. Yeah, and, and nine yeah. and 10 is what's called a promoter which is the best of all, obviously. Those are people who are so happy. They're in love with what you're doing and they're willing to share that in front of that. And if you can actually match up promoters and influencers through social or other data, and I did this in, in other companies, you can actually have pretty powerful influencer marketing campaigns because not only do you know who the influencers are, you know who the influencers are that really love you too. Um, and there's a lot of strategy behind what you do with these numbers, how you calculate the scores, et cetera. But uh, that's kind of the basic premise. It's just a very standardized okay. Feedback and using it to improve, and using it to determine where to focus. I love that. It's just one simple question, and uh, it's funny because as soon as you said, "How would you rate our experience?" Like I've seen this so many companies use it, I just didn't know it as the NPS. So yes, exactly. Now I'm gonna pause. We cannot forget to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the logistics, spreadsheets, and um, 
sorting customer data. Not only do they help make customer address changes super easy or changing rewards after someone has already bought, but the power is that they also help you um, do upsells and downsells and take care of all that. So if you don't have a system or a platform already set up, um, they've already built that for you. And the best part, you can find them at backerkit.com, but they've actually create, um, created a discount code for the Uncut listeners, which are you guys. So if you go to uh, check out, use the code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T, they're going to give you 50% off of their startup services, which is amazing. Um, so if you want to keep selling and keep making money and stay super organized um, after your campaign, they are the guys to go to. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they are amazing. Again, backerkit.com. So to complete flip, why Kickstarter, not Indiegogo? Well, to be honest, we, we weren't sure about crowdfunding in general, which is the first conversation we had where you came into the office you know, here and, and we chatted about that. I think what we thought was, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with companies that have launched brands and different types of products in different ways, never done crowdfunding. So it was kind of a really cool experiment to say, hey, we've got, we're going to rebrand the, the products and rebuild the stuff that we acquired. We want to get the word out there. Um, a traditional brand campaign these days is kind of just very tough to do and expensive. So we thought, hey, this could be the best way to actually get this new brand Unite and this new generation of products out there, um, get, get access to some great audiences that we don't typically have access to and get a bunch of great feedback. And so we looked at Kickstarter Indiegogo. It was a tough decision, to be honest. Um, and I'm still not sure if we made the right one, but uh, I'd say what we just heard a lot you know, was that Kickstarter had the largest audience and uh, for, for gadgets and technology would be a good fit. And so we, we tried Kickstarter, although to be honest, you know, I thought with Indiegogo with the health um, you know, category and some other things, they could be good too. So we are planning on going into Indiegogo on demand for the couple of months post uh, campaign where we're going to be still you know, working on shipping the products and such. So we'll see how that goes, but that was why we chose it. Cool. Um, in, so I just want to capitalize on something you said. You mentioned you're not sure if you made the right decision on going Kickstarter. Yeah, listen, it's been a, a great experience overall, and we've raised almost $200,000, so I, I'm very pleased and grateful for that. I think, you know, I just, uh, we personally didn't get, a, we, we were named a project we love by Kickstarter, and, and our interactions with them were good, but we personally didn't really get a lot of support from Kickstarter other than, other than that, uh, and not that you should expect that. I think the, the main learning I had was don't expect a damn thing from, you know, Kickstarter. And if you get it, it's kind of gravy, right? Because you can't bank on that or bet on, on that, even though we had some good conversations. Uh, it ultimately, you know, um, I, it seems to me like in talking to Indiegogo, they're a little more service focused, which is personal to me. And they have, you know, well thought out kind of promotional plans and things like that. And so I just, in, in the limited um, back and forth, it seems like they're a little more focused on service and promotion and maybe a more uh, replicable systematic way to run a campaign versus kind of a little bit of the wild west that maybe Kickstarter still is, which is kind of cool too. Uh, but yeah, yeah so I, don't, I don't know, honestly, I mean, as I said, we're thankful, we're grateful, we, we're, we're glad we learned and, and I don't know, maybe next time we would try Indiegogo. Yeah. I mean, you still raise quarter million dollars Canadian. Yes. Which is good. Very high. And yeah. So like, I, I totally hear you on that. Um, going into, because as of right now, you're at around 189000 on Kickstarter three days ago. Um, looking at the big success you had and closing in on almost $200,000, can you walk me through what were sort of your top three, or actually no, your best source of traffic and sales? And then what maybe didn't work so well for you? Yes, so email uh, newsletter subscribers and email newsletter list was by far number one. I would say that was probably around 60% of what we've raised. And that came, we were very lucky uh, to part of what we acquired from the other company was about 150,000 person email list. So I know for a lot of creators, when they don't have email lists, it's hard to build that sort of list. But I would say any access you have to lists or building up early demand, I also sent out we were also able to boost that list before we launched by reaching out to all my personal networks and social networks and our teams. And that really helped get a few extra thousand people that were very motivated. 
but by far number one was email. I'd say number two was, um, you know, a combination of, um, well, I'd say number two was, was, was Kickstarter, to be honest. And we got about 20% of our support through Kickstarter directly. And uh, so that was great. And that was just by appearing in obviously different categories and on different pages and being added to projects we love, which was, which was amazing. Uh, and then I'd say that the rest was kind of a combination of uh, a couple of things that worked. You know, obviously we had a bunch of traffic going to our website as people were learning about Unite and that was directing the Kickstarter. So there's a bunch of direct traffic from the website. And then we did have some good success with Funded Today around cross collaborations, uh, which I was a little skeptical about, to be honest, at first. I wasn't sure we wanted to do that. But then I think the key there is obviously you're getting in front of similar creators and, and backers where they're more likely to want to learn about other projects. So we've actually had some really good success there. I'd say maybe another kind of 10% came from there. And then the rest was really uh, some PR, uh, some other channels, you know, Google and, and, and Facebook ads and things like that. So, mm-hmm. but email was number one by far. I think on what didn't work for us, surprisingly, uh, was PR wasn't as big as we had hoped for and thought. We interviewed a bunch of PR firms. We chose one uh, named Proper Propaganda, actually, out of Montreal. Um, I think they, they're very good at what they do. I think they're very focused on the gadget press. And I think for mm-hmm. us, even though it's a cool product, it's meditation. It's not like the craziest, cool kind of, you know, gadget that might be out there. Uh, so I think that kind of hurt us a bit there, although we had some pickups. And there's a lot of people that want to write about us in the future uh, once they see samples, of the, once they can actually play around more with the product. Uh, so that's good. The second thing that didn't really work as well was Facebook advertising. And I think that's interesting because we tested a lot of different types of advertising and, and Google retargeting actually worked quite well, but uh, in a small volume. Facebook advertising was a huge disappointment, especially since we heard from many people like yourself and the agencies that it can be such a big booster. I think for us, what we learned is that when you have a very, when you have a relatively high product price point, I mean, our price points sort of was 149 to 199 and you know the early bird was 149 so we're in that 179 to 199 and higher uh, and you have a product that's hardware and software so a little bit more complicated versus maybe a single type of product or maybe like a information or, or i don't know something uh, we found that it was hard to convert people right away on the on the first kind of click or, or first few or first three or four or five impressions what we found is if we drive those people to our email list and then over time, build the relationship, then there's a much higher conversion. So unlike some of these other things that are ubiquitous, like a pillow or a, a blanket, uh, I think it's hard to convert people the first time on more expensive, you know, a little more. Yeah. And I find too, we ran into this problem with Jamstack, actually, the guitar amplifier, where we noticed um, halfway through, because you, you've seen this too, where if you have a 30-day window, the first 10 days is using up all of your warm traffic, and then you need to use ads funded today, other ways to bring in cold traffic. And our Facebook ads were converting really, really well up until the about 10 days into our Indiegogo campaign, and then it just stopped converting. And uh, what we realized was it was um, we needed to switch off of Facebook onto Google advertising because Google ads allow you to target people who are specifically looking for a solution to the problem that your thing is solving. So, and I would assume it might be the same with you where people searching for your device, they have, it's not their first, they're not new to meditation. They're looking for something to supplement their lifestyle. So they could already be searching for a problem, a solution to the problem. So um, in hindsight, Google AdWords was what allowed us with Jamstack to convert different traffic by targeting what people are searching. Um, yes. And I would imagine if you had to do it all over again, maybe a focus on Google AdWords would be more pertinent, right? Yeah, I agree. We, we've done some good AdWords retargeting, and I think we've we've tried some of that up. But I think I would focus more on that for sure the next time or if I had to do it all again. I think the other thing we learned is just... Um, you know, with, I mean, Google, Google ad, ad spending in, in the U S especially can get quite expensive, right. From a, a you know, CPC perspective. So we, we didn't heavy up as much as we probably should have on that, but uh, no, you, you're, you're dead on. However, you know, cause this is all learning experience, right. And you've launched a brand, you're going to throw money at things and just like a blanket effect and see what works. And 
it's not like you're not going to sell this online. So now that you know you've tried Facebook ads, you know to drive people more to an opt-in page to build the relationship more prior to a sale because it's going to be the exact same thing where they're going to want to be educated more before they make the the jump. And then trying Google AdWords versus a straight-to-sale on Facebook. Yeah, and I think you, you nailed it. People are generally, they've tried meditation, they've struggled with it, you know, it's been frustrating, it's been hard to learn, they have trouble keeping up with it. And so this is more, we call this sort of a more effective way to learn how to meditate or maintain your practice. So I think, you know, building that relationship with someone, showing them over time, here's how it works, trying to give them some free samples and trials, at least of the of the content, really does help. Because otherwise, it's kind of like, hey, I'm not going to go spend a couple hundred dollars on this thing. And I don't really know exactly what it is versus what I'm currently using. So I think we've learned good lessons there. Over the last, uh, how long is your campaign? Was it 35 days or? We, we did 40 days and okay. we did that just because we figured if it was going well, it couldn't hurt to have a few more days. The no. other thing is, one thing I didn't mention that actually worked as part of our list, we had a bunch of professionals that, that use our device in clinics and schools and we had, we had lined up a, a handful of those to kind of um, order, you know, relatively early on. Um, so they, you know, we saw some good professional demand come through here as well. Uh, but yeah, it's really good. Awesome. The reason I ask is because if you had to just say I'm a creator, I'm about to embark on my very first crowdfunding campaign. If you were to give me one piece of advice of like a big warning, maybe one thing that you got burned on during this whole thing, what would that thing be? Well, I think it's a hell of a lot more work than you think. Um, and there's a couple of things. One is a hell of a lot more work. So I think like we were lucky that it wasn't just me and we have a team of about kind of eight or nine people. So it was way more than I originally thought when we mapped it all out as a project on our whiteboard and we actually went through every step. I mean, there must've been like a hundred steps. And so that actually took way much more effort by a lot more people than we thought. So I'd say don't underestimate that uh, in terms of the amount of effort and getting help. I mean, like we got help on the PR side. We didn't actually get help initially from someone like you. A part of that, to be honest, was I had been in all these roles running businesses and I wanted to actually really get my hands into it. And I didn't realize how much that would be. But, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, we kind of really learned a lot about the business by doing it the first time ourselves. But yeah, I think ton of work and then the last thing i'd say just don't rely on the platform as much as it's going to be amazing and, and there'll be access to people you don't know i think just the notion that you're going to launch something and people are going to come uh back it or they're going to all of a sudden include you in one of their newsletters i mean it, it, who knows it, it could happen but it, it probably won't so uh really try to think about how do you build some of that awareness and interest beforehand and keep that going I love what you said. It reminded me like a client we're now working with before I even started with him, we had a conversation. He's like, well, no, I only need funded today. And I keep bringing up funded today. I love the guys, um, but people have to be careful going into it an educated decision and manner. Cause I think funded today is really, really good at setting expectations. Um, but this client of mine was like, oh no, we'll hire funded today. We'll do a million dollars. I'm like, you can't rely on this one agency because they, what they're going to do is they're going to charge you like upwards of five grand to test your idea. And if it doesn't convert, like, it sounds like you failed their ads part, but you were able to go in for their cross promotion, which ended up working for you. Yes. Right? We, 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 I'd say we burned that upfront money, which we didn't really want to spend, but we, we'd already run some tests on our own and, it, and they hadn't worked that well, even though we were targeting sort of quasi Kickstarter audiences. So we said, Hey, these guys really know what they're doing, you know, uh, let's give them a shot and then we'll know for sure. And listen, if you, if one of those types of agencies can't get conversions after a week with that sort of money being spent against specific Kickstarter audiences, it's probably going to be a tough sell through those types of ads. Exactly. And I think it's important. Like, I love how you've, you went in knowing that you had to try different things. And I think just for any creators listening, like don't just assume that if you hire an agency, they're just going to make it happen for you. You've got to have different tools in the case or else it's just, you are, if you don't have a plan B, you're kind of screwed if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And the last point I make, 
and this isn't a knock on the agencies, but I've run ad technology companies. And so it is a bit of a black box, unfortunately. I know there's some others out there that I spoke with, like Nuke, I think it is, and UK, who you introduced me to, and I was very impressed with their sort of transparent approach. We didn't actually get to work with them because it was too late, but it is a black box, which is kind of, I think, unfortunate. And I know why these types of agencies have to do it, but you basically give them some money they go off to everything in their own accounts. And if, if you doesn't succeed, you might get some learnings. You might not. If it does, you'll kind of have a campaign, but you won't really have much to go on in the future. And I think one of the other things I'd say is a Kickstarter campaign doesn't necessarily make a successful, sustainable business. And so it's a step and it's a great first step, but you need to ultimately, it's very important, very important, also important, ultimately, ultimately, and you know how to how to target and retarget those people and people like them and uh it is really a black box unfortunately i think part of that is just due to the fact that this space is growing so quickly and these types of agencies have a lot of power and influence and they can do whatever they kind of want right now because there's infinite demand for them i think over time i mentioned this t one i think over time that will normalize because this will normalize like any platform has whether it's you know an amazon type platform or other ad tech or other things like Google or Facebook, and there will be more of a balance in terms of demand and supply. And I think ultimately then there might be more options for people. But I think right now it would be great. It's great to be in the business these companies are in, in the short term, and they're probably doing really well. And, and, and they do provide a very valuable service. I just, to your point, I wouldn't bank on it. I wouldn't bank on that as, as the only thing you need to do. Yep. So I knew this would happen. We're going way over time. So I hope you're okay for time right now. Um, I had one last topic I wanted to cover, which is this whole three days left. And you're like, hey, if you have any tips. And I was I intentionally left it until we were recording this to see. So um, are you, do you want to have a conversation around three days left and like, okay. Yes, please. Any ideas for us? I have some. I'm okay. going to do my consultant thing and ask you a few questions first. Sure. Yes. Um, however, just you have three days left. You've raised 189000 so far. And in the first three days and the last three days is where most of the funding happens. So I'm curious, like, if we didn't have this conversation today, what were you already planning to do in these last three days? We're definitely planning on communicating a couple more times with our email list. Because okay. the email list has actually even grown quite a bit during the campaign. And awesome. we know exactly, obviously, who's opened emails, who's clicked, who has it. We don't know conversions, obviously, because we can't fully track that on Kickstarter. But um, so we're going to be reminding people, you know, the next couple of days and then the last day. That should hopefully have a good boost. And we'll probably um, mail to people who haven't opened uh, as well another time. Uh, second thing is we are doing quite a bit of retargeting now because we've had you know, tens and tens of thousands of visits to our Kickstarter page. Uh, and so we're using Google retargeting to uh, try to drive people back to, uh, to purchase their okay. additional social posts and things like that, which have converted, you know, not that well. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much it at this point. I mean, another sort of appeal out to friends and family and, you know, networks. I mean, I've actually had, we've had a ton of traffic through LinkedIn. I just happen to have over 3000 LinkedIn contacts, but I was an early adopter. Most people don't, but that's been very helpful too in driving traffic. So that's kind of what we're doing, but you know, we, we don't, and hopefully the Kickstarter algorithm will kick in. Although one, one little thing I will say about the algorithm, which surprised us when we dug into it with them, the algorithm, people think, you know, if you hit 30 or 40, 50% in your first few days, you're in, you're all of a sudden the algorithm is going to help you. It does, but I think the number one thing that we've been told is that it's based on number of backers versus amount raised, which was a little surprising because we raised a lot that first day, 60000 but because our product was high-priced, we didn't have as many backers as some other projects, so we didn't get picked up as much as we thought we would. So huh. we're hoping the last three days it will help, but we're not you know, betting on that. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that'll help. Um, when you first, Have you done any sales or promotions or anything? thing for this campaign like early bird sales or just the early bird we had a super early bird 149 then we had an early bird but we haven't any kind of one-off sales or anything okay one thing i've seen work well is doing a flash 72 hours some sort of flash sale which is a these are marketing tactics but uh, you want to give people an incentive to act now if they've been on the fence. So I love everything you're doing with communication with keep doing that, 
But if you could have some sort of an incentive to act now, a few things is you can remind people that this is the, if you're upping your price uh, later, yes. you say yes, this is sure. the last time they're going to ever get it for this price. You could say, if you back us in the next 72 hours, um, everyone gets a free t-shirt. Ah, I don't really care about that. But uh, most effective thing we've seen happen in the past is like, you could do a brand new perk or reward only available until the end of the campaign. Mm. So you can maybe do a two for one special. Um, You could, okay, maybe not two for one, but like there are different things. Two for one, you could do free international shipping. You could do bringing back the early bird, something like that to get certain people to finally take action and buy. Got it. Yeah. I like Um, that idea. I definitely like that idea. Yes. We'll uh, we'll, we'll think through some ideas there because you're right. I think uh, we haven't really done the flash sale type thing. We've sort of had the, early birds, but uh, I think you're right to get that demand because there are a bunch of people out there we know that are probably on the fence and to pull that trigger and the last sort of 48, 72 hours, that would be very helpful. Yeah. Cause people are automatically going to give you additional sales, but if you, one great way to get the algorithm and rank on the site again is an influx of sales. So we've done it with strategies like flash sales in the past. We've added on like guitar cases for $12, which we have an influx of 500 backers immediately. It shoots you up again in the middle of the campaign. Um, so whatever you can do to get people to start buying again, a flash sale, a new accessory, maybe it's saying if we hit 200,000, we're unlocking a secret perk, um, things like that, some sort of incentive and just make sure that you communicate that across any ads you're doing. You have a banner at the top of your page, you email your list, you have something in an update and that is what you're pushing for the next three days. Yes, got it. Thank you. So that's what I would do for highest impact. And um, yeah, because it doesn't take a lot of effort to figure out what that thing is and just just deploy that. So that's what I would do. And we've seen success with that. Cool. Yeah, no, we'll, well. we'll give that a try for sure. Um, and then you mentioned before you're doing in-demand. So... Yes. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, we we figured because we have a couple months until we're shipping our first sort of batch, um, rather than just and we figured we were using Backerkit first of all, uh, you know, to uh, to manage kind of the surveys awesome. and all that, and then we figure we may as well drive people to Indiegogo and demand because there's no downside and pricing will be a bit higher, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll get access to their audience and, uh, and, you know, a bunch of any traffic obviously coming from our website or Kickstarter will go there. So yep. hopefully that will just give an incremental boost while we focus on uh, manufacturing and, and delivery. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I think that there's two ways you could do it. You could either shut off sales completely and drive all traffic to your website for a pre uh, pre-order list um, where, or a wait list until you build e-commerce functionality on your site and then you could do another soft launch on your platform. Uh, or you could just do in-demand, which is just a um, consistent way. Like if you're going to keep driving ads and traffic to that, it's just another great way to get passive income from it and continue those sales until you have your website set up. Yes. So I love in-demand and I think that you can either just launch and let it sit there or if it were me, I would be actively looking to do things like cross promotions on with Indiegogo campaigns. I would want to um, continue your PR campaign, or maybe it's just something you do in house at this point because you didn't see a big return, and then just drive ads to it and just treat it like a sales thing until you got your website up. Yeah, that's great, and I think they've been pretty helpful, and they're going to help promote it supposedly. So we'll see how that goes. I love Indiegogo. Like they're, they're great. And I mean, even if they ask them if they have any tips for your page, like if there's anything that they see that can convert better, how to make a few changes to your page um, that way. But yeah, I'm all for in demand just because you're going over from Kickstarter. I believe they're, they take 8% off all dollar on every dollar you raise, but yeah, Yeah. I like it. So Very nice. Um, well, is there anything else I sh- should have asked you that I haven't? I don't think so. No, that was pretty uh, pretty thorough. Um, yeah, and I think for us, once again, it was, uh, it's was it been a great experience. We've learned a ton. We're excited, obviously, for the next um, 
phase now of actually you know, man, you know finishing manufacturing and shipping the product and we would definitely try crowdfunding again in the future uh mm-hmm. now that we've learned so much obviously you need certain things to fit well with it but uh it's definitely given us more access to feedback new audiences you know we're up to almost 900 backers uh and you know a good chunk of those came through kickstarter and uh you know and and wouldn't have heard of us otherwise so it's been it's been cool yeah that's it's it's weird because like um I'll have companies come to me sometimes and they're like, oh, we've decided not to crowdfund because we don't need the money. Like, but it's not about the money. It's at that point, if you don't need the money, it's a brand launch platform. Like it's just a way to get additional audience. Like, you know, you said it yourself earlier. So I love crowdfunding and what what it can do as an opportunity for the right products. Yeah, I'd say it's the ultimate branded response platform. If you think back to kind of brand advertising, direct response. People talked about, you know, Google as branded response. This is a good branded response platform where, to your point, you can get feedback without going and trying to raise a bunch of money, build a product that people don't want, and then you launch it and no one buys it. Here you're actually validating and getting, getting feedback. So it's, uh, it's a great way to reduce that waste and to back to our earlier point, not build things that people don't want or don't value uh, or don't, don't want to share. Yep, 100%. I love it when other people say it, not me. <laughs> so cool. This has been great. If uh, people want to find out more about Unite or you, just get in contact. Where's a good spot you want to send them? Probably the best place right now is just because uh, this will air after our campaign ends, right? So mm-hmm. just go to unite.com, U-N-Y-T-E.com. And then we have our contact info. You can sign up for our email list. Uh, we do send newsletters on the science behind meditation and, and kind of latest studies and, and best practices. And then that will have a link to our Indiegogo and demand page as well. Awesome. It's a great product, guys. I've actually tried it, so I will endorse it. <laughs> thank you. It's not yeah. just a sketch on a piece of paper, but... <laughs> well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. No worries. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, We're going to wrap up this episode. Keep in mind, if you are interested in your own crowdfunding campaign after this, be sure to head to crowdfundinguncut.com and download your free product launch checklist. It's the step-by-step guide that I've written based on raising over, well, helping creators raise over $2 million, uh, crowdfundinguncut.com. Apart from that, it's going to be a YouTube video, and this is the puppy that has been attacking my legs. So take care. And Jason, thanks so much for being on the podcast again. Well, thank you very much. Bye. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there. My name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like The Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.